If you would, open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 19. You can find that on page, I believe it's 975 in the Blue Pew Bibles. 975. Sure, you've heard the saying, this is where the rubber meets the road. Well, that's where we are in the book of Galatians, where the rubber meets the road. You know, everything that Paul has taken us through up to this point was meant to result in a life that's, that's lived under the dominion or under the, the control of the Holy Spirit. And we began with chapters 5 and 6 a few weeks ago hearing about this, the, this process of, of sanctification, of knowing God, of being now controlled primarily by the Spirit of God and, and, and then living out of that. We began that a few weeks ago. But I, I think that reading through it, especially with today's passage, that it really begins in earnest, maybe to some extent last week as well. So I, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to see really and truly what it looks like to live a life day in and day out under the Holy Spirit so that your life is productive, so that it's producing true, genuine fruit of God because the Holy Spirit has charge over your life. And if your answer to that is yes, then that's good because that's, that's what we're going to be covering and looking at this morning. Uh, you know, last week... We were largely introduced to this, as I mentioned earlier, as we looked at this, this battle, the battle that's inherent, that's, uh, that, that's normal, or should be, uh, within the life of a believer. You recall in verse 17, Paul had said, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Now, what we hear there with those words, against, opposed, are the makings for a conflict, a clear conflict uh, within the life of a believer. Uh, we might call it a war. And that is, or that should be, what's going on inside of a believer on an ongoing basis. In other words, one who has trusted in Christ, one who has the Holy Spirit truly active within him or within her. Now, today we're going to go further in that same passage as we get a look at, a glimpse into uh, what the product is out of a life that's lived in that way. What is produced? You know, you think about it, a battle is never without, it's never fought without reason. And especially if one side is dominant, then you would expect there to be gains that are, are made through the ongoing battle. Uh, and that's exactly what we have here. There is one side that is dominant. <laughs> and it is the work of the Spirit. And so we should expect to see conquering taking place as well as a restoration, a building up. Uh, and that's what we see here. And 
And I'll just remind us as we go through, we need this reminder often, that it truly is all a work of the Lord. And His work is glorious. Uh, and so we need to, to see that, look for it in our own lives. Now I'll ask you to look for that in these words. Now I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 5. I'll begin, I'm going to read verse 16 just to give us context, and then I'll jump down to verse 19 and read through the end uh, of the chapter. So five, chapter 5, verse 16, this is God's Word. But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we, uh, we lift up thanks to you this morning that as we hear those words, that we're not left alone in an understanding of them, we're not left alone in an application of them to our own hearts, and that we can know that they are a foundation upon which to build a right life, a true life, a life that truly does produce good fruit. And so we do pray for your help this morning uh, in understanding, in seeing the specifics maybe, Lord, that, that might apply to to my life in particular, each one of us. Uh, and uh, we pray that you would open our eyes uh, to see and to know these things are true, that the Holy Spirit truly is the gift that is given to those who have trusted in you. And this work is that work of the Spirit. Uh, we, again, ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. I was in a conversation earlier this week with, uh, with some who were, who were here. We were talking about apple orchards and about how at some of the larger apple orchards uh, like Mercier's down in, uh, in Blue Ridge, you know, there are others in northern Georgia, that you can go and you can, you can pick your own apples. Uh, and some might say, well, why would I want to go and do that? Just you know, go and pick up a, a bushel full of apples. But uh, that conversation started me thinking back to many years back when I was a youth growing up, uh, and we would travel from Brevard all the way over, which is not far, to the area around Hendersonville, which is known for its apples. Uh, and there are many orchards uh, over there. And we always, every year, we go to the same 
uh, apple orchard, and we would pick our own apples, and it wasn't just kind of a, a tourist-type thing, but we'd pick a lot of apples, and those would be the apples that we'd bring back and, and eat for quite some time. Uh, and so when we go there, they would give us a, uh, you know, some baskets, number of baskets, and we'd take them. They'd tell us where to go uh, to pick the apples. And I remember going to, to the, the trees themselves, and they already had ladders placed up against many of the, of the trees. And you'd just walk up to them, and these ladders, they were bigger at the bottom and, and get narrower toward the top, and they were wooden ladders, and you'd climb up the ladder. And I remember, this was different, Amy talked about uh, experience at Mercier's, but a different experience that uh, there were volumes of apples to be had there. They were, they were all over, so you'd just climb partway off, up, and you'd start picking. We had a couple of different ways of doing it. Sometimes you'd pick and, and drop to the person below. they stick it in the basket, or you'd take the basket up with you. Uh, but, but the point there, they, there were lots of apples, and so within 30 minutes of our family being there at the orchard, uh, we had already filled up our baskets, and we were ready, ready to head back. Now, that was the experience with the trees that we went to and that we climbed. But I, I do remember that in the orchard, there were some trees, and they might even be right next to the tree that we were picking out of. There'd be a tree there that didn't have any apples. It didn't have a ladder leaning up against it. And uh, this was not just a result of the trees having been picked over. I, I, I knew that because underneath the tree, there were no apples there either, none, not a one, uh, on the tree, under the tree. And so you got this great difference between the one tree with all the apples that we, we, you know, they'd provide constantly for others who would come and for ourselves, but then you got the other tree where there were no apples, not one, it was barren. Uh, and I think as we turn to this passage that we're looking at this morning and try to discern what Paul is communicating to us, this helps because he's describing this same type of thing, this, this total and complete contrast between, on the one hand, uh, this fruit, this fruit that's productive, that is, is valuable, that provides for others. Think about that tree that we climb up that the ladder was against and the fruit was just there. It was all over. You'd eat the fruit. It was juicy. This is a life that's lived under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to recognize, just like we saw in those paragraphs earlier, uh, that it has that phrase more and more attached to it. Fruit, true fruit, more and more. That's what you might expect, lived under the control of the Holy Spirit, valuable, abundant fruit. On the other hand, we get this stark contrast with an absence of any genuine fruit. You know, the tree's there, it's taking up space, but just like that tree in the apple orchard, no apples, nothing of any value, nothing desirable about it. That's a life that is lived, that's governed by the flesh. Notice also that it's actually the fruit itself that makes plain the nature of the tree. Jesus, 
uh, in, in the gospel account speaks about this on a number of occasions that he talks about the, the tree that would bear bad fruit and the tree that would bear good fruit. And the way to see the difference between them was the, the actual fruit that's being born. And the, the same was true with this apple orchard that uh, we went, went to. If I stood back a ways, looked at the trees, uh, I would see trees, apple trees. Uh, very similar in nature, but as I, as I get up close, I see very clearly that one tree has the capacity to bear abundant and wonderful fruit, and the other tree is, is empty of any valuable fruit. Now, Paul, in our passage, he, he's already described the warfare that's inherent in, in the believer, this war between the flesh and and the Spirit. And it reminds us that those who are controlled by the Spirit are these bearers of fruit. And so he wants us to recognize these things, and therefore, he wants us to engage in the battle. Uh, He's not just giving this, although it's valuable as information, but not just as information, but he wants us to engage in the battle. This, is, this passage is an exhortation to us because you are controlled by the Spirit of God. So he's speaking to believers. Because you're controlled by the Spirit of God, number one, don't indulge in the flesh, which is fruitless. It's without fruit. But he says, live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will bear true fruit for God. What is that fruit? Well, he's going to, going to tell us. And, and as we go through, we need to know the specifics. And so we're going to look at, at the fruit. Now, just a warning as we approach this. And that is that the world, the world order that's out there, the world doesn't want us to see this with the clarity that's given in this passage, you know, the, the world tends to paint things, and therefore our own hearts and our own sin does, paint things with a gray paintbrush. Well, if you think about it, God's Word often makes things so black and white, so clear. And I'm not saying it's always that way, but so often, and it is here. But it's easy for us to fall into the world's way of thinking In other words, it's easy for us to to fail to recognize that the fruit produced by our lives is either one or the other. It's either that which is is produced by the Spirit, and it's valuable, and it is more and more, but it's it's abundant more and more, and uh, it, it does that and provides that which is of God. But on the other hand, there is that fruit which is produced through the flesh, uh, Paul doesn't leave any room for gray here. You'll notice at the beginning of verse 19 that we'll read uh, just a moment. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He's not leaving room for gray there. He's saying, if the Spirit is dominant in your life, then these may be there, but, but you're being exhorted to live your life by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, he's going to say a little bit later. In, in other words... Let Him be your source. Let Him be your pattern to follow. That's what we do when we keep in step with someone. Uh, We're following along with them. uh, And that's what He's calling for us to do. 
And he says, if you do this, then you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, sinfully, we might say, ah, it's not as straightforward as that. But actually, here we see that it is. It is only the Spirit who produces that genuine fruit. And so we need to be able to inspect, to be able to inspect our fruit and determine. And that, again, that's a work of the Spirit to inspect our fruit. So, again, here's, here's Paul's exhortation to us. It is twofold. Uh, first of all, do not indulge in the flesh, first of all. But secondly, live by the Spirit. Do not indulge in the flesh, but live by the Spirit. So first, do not indulge by the Spirit. Uh, Paul first wants us to recognize what a life looks like when it's ruled over by the flesh. And he calls for these people, and that's us as well, to, to remove it. Or literally to, to, to crucify it, to put it to death. Uh, and that does require, if we're going to do that, it requires inspecting. And therefore, it, in, it requires knowing the specifics of what is produced. And so he lays out that for us in list form. So as I read this list, think about what Paul intends for us to do here. Uh, he, he wants us to, to recognize specific sin in our lives against which we must engage. We must fight. We must put to death. So here's the list. Uh, verse 19, the first list. Now the works of the flesh... He's talking about the actions that flow out of the fallen human nature. Remember, that's what he means by flesh. He doesn't mean body, as is meant in other places. The works of the flesh, actions that flow out of fallen human nature, he says, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now notice there, those last few words, this list is not complete. <laughs> these are representative of a much larger list. Uh, and so he, he wants us to know that and then to be able to inspect the, 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 what comes out of our own lives. Uh, and before we break this list down and, and look at, uh, at each one, Let's look at what he finishes with there. If you look at verse 21, about halfway through, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things... Now, he's talking about those who, who practice such things, those who, who continue to, to go back to and, and practice. That's what, that's what the, grammatically it means. Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, this is serious. In other words, outward conduct, outward conduct, which consists of these things, indicate an inward spiritual status that does not know God, that's not born of God, that will not finally see God. So again, he, he, he's saying this is serious. Uh, so the first three we have listed there, they really go together. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All of these uh, bring with them a, 
a lack of self-restraint over the body and over its passions. And the first two really refer generally to any sexual sin, any type of sexual sin, but especially, and we get this from the first one, sexual immorality and what it means, uh, it refers to unlawful sexual intercourse. Anything that's not one man and one woman together in marriage. But it does also include, more generally, all the associated lusts and desires and actions. And uh, We could go through a, a very long list. We know uh, what comes through our culture today, uh, but also what has been there since the beginning uh, after that first sin. Now, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks to this. It says... Uh, abstain from sexual immorality. That same term there, abstain from sexual immorality, that, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. If you're controlled by the Spirit, your heart will be to recognize these things in yourself. And to know to turn from them, to not desire them, to desire to put them to death. I'm not saying they're not attractive. I'm not saying that we're not still tempted. That is the, the sin flesh that is still within. But remember, we're walking in a different way. We have a different uh, controller over us. Okay, the next two back in our passage are idolatry and sorcery. Now these are, especially the second one, not necessarily what you may think, although it includes what you may think. Uh, these evidence a, a desire inside to participate in the spiritual realm, though not through the means that God has given, but through human, humanly invented means, you might say. There, there is, with these, there is worship involved but not truly of God and not of the means that he's given. You know, the, the Greek word here for sorcery is uh, pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. It's the basis for our word pharmacy. Because it's partly speaking about using drugs as a controlling medium. Now, I'm sure that you, you know that that's a, a great temptation in our world and our culture today uh, because drugs, they're, they're highly available. Uh, and they can often be seen as, as being good. You know, this is, this is for a good purpose. Uh, but here, Paul is saying if your motive is to use drugs in a way that controls your emotions or that causes you to feel in a certain way that kind of takes over, Paul is calling this a work of the flesh. And he's calling for us to put it to death. Now, uh, as we continue on, many of the rest of Paul's list here kind of relate to a breakdown in community, especially you can think of a breakdown in, in Christian fellowship or Christian community. Uh, there's evidently here in Galatia, there's a problem with that. And of course, we find that in other, uh, other churches within the New Testament. Think of 1 Corinthians, the entire book. Uh, is built around a major problem. 
divisiveness. And the same is often true within the church today. And each of these uh, are of that nature. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are all aspects of the same human problem. There's an absence of love. And there is a self-centeredness. But the root cause for all of these comes ultimately from a rejection of God. Think what happens when, when there's a rejection of God. There is enmity, separation between God and man. And as a result, it drives an enmity between human and human. Uh, because there's no power to change no power for change in these human relationships. There's no, no love that drives love. Uh, there's no forgiveness that we know that drives forgiveness with others. People relate to other people out of their sin. And so there is enmity and strife and jealousy and, and on and on down, down the list. A question. Do you keep a watch out for this? in your own heart? Are you one who, and sometimes it's hard to see these things. The Spirit will help us to see these things. Are you one who would drive or cause divisions? Is there a bitterness in your heart? Is there a spirit of quarreling there? Fits of anger, jealousy. Are you one who would say, I refuse to be with, with these people? with that person? And are, are you able to spot it in yourself and to say, that's a work of the flesh? And here's the real uh, question at the heart of it. Are you distressed over it? Because I can guarantee you, if each one of us here are looking in our own hearts, we're going to see a number of these things there. Here's the question. Are you distressed over it? Do you... Are you driven to put it to death? Now, if that's so, that's a sign of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work within you. As I run through these things, they can seem so common, can't they? Uh, because we're tempted to say, well, well, everyone criticizes, right? And so we, we can begin to, to see the lie, to hear the lie that, well, there's a gray area here, but remember what Paul says. If you practice these things, and he's talking about on and on, practice these things without a true struggle inside, without a desire to put them to death, he says you're outside of the kingdom of God. That ultimately you will not be together with God. But on the other hand, if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be led to want to focus upon them, to shine a light upon them, to call them out in your own heart, and to put them to death. We see that if you look a little further down in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now Paul is making a definitive statement here about Christians. He's saying if you, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are His, then this is something that is true of you. There is no gray area. You are His. You have freedom. It's a done deal. And one place that, that 
lays this out so clearly. You can just read through the whole thing, but it is Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. It doesn't say immediately it's brought to nothing, but might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You hear in those words how there's a great sense in which it's a done deal. It doesn't mean that there's not a struggle there with sin. In fact, that's, that's what we're about here. But it is saying that you have a different mind, that you have a different heart, that you've been won over by another. You now know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and He has you. Uh, you are His and He is yours. And so your disposition is different. Your disposition is to put these sins to death. Now, I need to, really, I just feel the need to do this as we go through this passage. I need to address something here because there is a teaching that's out there that is very common within the church today, including within uh, Reformed churches, that fails, I believe, to take these truths seriously. Uh, just this past week, I, I read an article by a prominent PCA pastor uh, that I believe comes from this vein of teaching. And it is a vein of teaching that coddles sin, sin that's inherent in a person, and it, it allows it, in fact, encourages it to remain there and for the person to think, no, no, I'm okay. It's unwilling to make that clear statement that the Bible makes about sin. Uh, break it out clearly about particular sins, in fact. About, for one, homosexuality. And about also anxiety ruling over a person's life. And about other things as well. About what the Bible clearly lays out as sin. Now, I'll say up front, this is difficult. Uh, because we do want to care for the sinner who is struggling with sin. Because by definition, that should be every one of us. Uh, and some struggles with sin are deep struggles with sin. And so there needs to be a pastoral care for those who are struggling with sin. Because there is a genuine struggle. We saw that last week out of uh, 517. Uh, so we want to keep that, take that into account to care for people. But there is a distinction that needs to be drawn here. Here it is. That restricting in some way outward behavior is categorically different from the struggle that we're talking here. Flesh and spirit, struggle inside, designed to put sin to death. Let me describe it this way. Let's say you've got a, a stream of water. And that stream of water is flowing freely down a, a valley or a ravine. And then let's say you take and, and you build a dam and you dam up the water and so it's being held back. It can no longer run freely. Think of that as, as holding back sin. Well, you can say at that point that the water's restricted, but that's it, really, that it's just being held back. But the moment you remove that dam... Uh, the water is going to run freely again, just as it did before. 
the point being that there's nothing internal to the water itself that really changed. It was just an outward restriction that was placed on the water. Now that's, that's part and parcel to this teaching today that with respect to certain sins, such as homosexuality, uh, with these sins, there is inherent in them a desire of the heart, a passion which is at work, uh, in the flesh. And this teaching says that if a person still retains that desire, perhaps even to the point of identifying with that sin, of saying, well, this is who I am, yet that person refrains from engaging in the outward behavior, this teaching encourages them to see that they are in a right place with God. And there's comfort. If you can imagine, there's comfort to that person that comes from it. But realize what's really happening there. Their sin nature is being restrained. It's being held back. Yet it still characterizes them. And so this teaching is saying, in effect, that what really matters here is the outward behavior. Let me contrast that with what we find here. The real spiritual struggle that takes place when the Spirit has dominion is a struggle that says that the flesh must be put to death. Now that takes time. Deep struggle. Some sins will never be put to death, but the struggle is there anyway. It's ongoing. In other words, the Spirit wins over the heart. It's not the water that's being held back by a dam so that when it is removed, it just runs freely but instead, you can picture this as being something like maybe there's a lion and a serpent that are there, and there is a fight that takes place between the lion and the serpent. There will be a genuine struggle, and it may not be easy, but it's known that the lion is dominant, that the lion is, has dominion. He will be ultimately the victor. And so, in whatever sin it is, whether it's homosexuality or pornography or anxiety that is always there and remains ruling over the life or jealousy when it rules over the heart or pride, on and on. It's the inward sin that must be put to death. It's not just that this outward activity needs to be restricted and held back, but, but there's genuine change that takes place when the Holy Spirit is at work. Sin being put to death. And, you know, that's exactly what the Lord does, isn't it? That verse I read earlier, uh, verse uh, in our, our passage, verse uh, 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh there, of course, is not just the body but it is the, the sin nature. Think of it this way. The lion already has dominion. And so be encouraged as you fight the battle. And also, I would ask, recognize this teaching when you hear it. And then go back to the Bible and uh, refute it. You know, as we do fight at this battle, there will be at the same time a, a true spiritual fruit that will more and more show itself, that will more and more manifest itself in our lives as we live by the Spirit. 
And this is what Paul is talking about here, that by submitting ourselves to the Lord, that's how we're ruled over by the Spirit. And this will result in the production of fruit, true fruit, which is good and which satisfies and which is productive. And it happens because of this inward change that the Lord does within us. We read about the true fruit in verse 22. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. There doesn't need to be a, a law there to hold it back. Now remember the key here in all of this is the source of that fruit. Just as we talked about earlier with the the two very different apple trees, it was the tree itself that mattered, wasn't it? Uh, With the worthless fruit that didn't grow, it was the tree that was the problem. And with the abundant fruit that, that grew and grew so that no matter who came to the tree, there was fruit available to take from it, it was the tree that provided that fruit. And so here, as we look at this fruit, we need to see this fruit as not coming from me, not coming from the person, but coming from outside of me. And that's really how the Holy Spirit works. Now, I'm going to challenge you to, to really think about the Holy Spirit in in this way. I I think this is is rarely the case with us, but this is the truth, that the Holy Spirit comes from the outside, within. I've got my own way of doing things. I've got my own way of thinking. But what happens? I trust in Christ. There's this change that takes place inside as the Holy Spirit comes from the outside and comes within. There's something new that is governing over me, and it's not me, myself, and I. It is the Lord God Himself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and thereby He is able to to really and truly bring about change to renew my desires, to renew my will, so that I want different things, uh, so that these that we're, we're looking at These are the things that result from a new master coming in and doing this work of renovation. Uh, And the result that's listed first, and in this case it truly is, the first is the best. The first is the most upheld. Uh, The first there is love. That word is, you're familiar with this, agape, the Greek word. Love. Agape is love for God. And, And so... Therefore, based upon this, based upon that, that God has loved me and I therefore love Him, then there is this love for others. Uh, this is the greatest of the fruit. Re- recall uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The whole chapter is on love. Verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because really, this is the foundation upon which all the other fruit can be found. 
Uh, it, it is the source of all godliness within a person. One person has said it this way, said love is not one virtue among a list of virtues, but the sum and substance of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, it is what we have come to know and to receive from God. What is that? That His very own Son came here upon the earth and lived here upon the earth, set aside His glory. He lived and, and died a selfless and sacrificial death. Why? For you and for me. And through that, He has brought us true life and forgiveness and the ability to know Him and peace with God, removing the enmity that was there before. And so, of course, the question there for us that drives this fruit in our lives is that question, do you know this? Have you trusted in Christ? If you have and if you do, then you've got that foundation for all of the fruit that is listed here. It is yours and it will be yours in greater and greater measure. Notice the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come out of a vacuum, but it comes out of the fullness of the gift that we have received from the Lord, His grace. We are able to be selfless and sacrificial because we have known a love that is selfless and sacrificial, the greatest sacrifice that has been made ours. We have joy in our lives. That's the second one. Because we have been shown the greatest love that mankind has ever known. We have peace in our lives. Because we have peace with God. Because uh, that enmity has been removed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are able to live our lives day after day out of a great peace in the heart. Because we know that our greatest debt has been paid. We know that our greatest problem has been taken care of. And peace is the result. We are no longer God's enemies. Now, Romans uh, 15, 13, Paul said this, May the God of hope, this is one of those kind of doxologies at the end of a, of a section, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing Notice the, the, the role that, uh, that faith has. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You have known these things from God. And now you have the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit within you so that they can exhibit themselves in your life. And then all the other fruit flows out of this. We are able to have patience because we now trust the God who orders the way things work in this world. It's no longer our timetable that is uh, held before us and anything can happen. But the timetable we live by now is God's timetable. And that brings true patience. We can show kindness to others, which is goodness and generosity and, and sympathy. Because more and more we know that's exactly what the Lord has shown to us. A great kindness. We can, we can do work for the benefit of others. That's goodness. Because we have known God's goodness and we have our greatest need met in Christ. 
faithfulness because God has been faithful to us. Gentleness because we have experienced the gentleness of Christ. Remember Matthew uh, eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And finally, self-control. The Holy Spirit gives us the power now to resist temptations of the flesh. And all of that is part of dealing with that of the flesh and putting it to death. Self-control. Now, again, this is not a complete list. This is like the other list that we looked at, that which was of the flesh. Uh, These are representative. Uh, Yet it's the the heart of it. Uh, Also, think about the the, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. They all manifest themselves together. Uh, it, it It would be wrong for you to say, well, I've got this fruit and this fruit that's showing itself in my life, I, you know, that's no problem. The other, the other fruit, well, that's just not my nature to have those or something to that effect. These are all one. That's why the, the word itself, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I know we often can say that in our language, uh, but it is talking about the fruit, and it's there for a reason, because these are all one. It's, it's that which is produced when the Holy Spirit is in control. And He's at work in our lives. Uh, our lives begin to produce fruit, singular. And again, and I, I want to close with this, uh, recall the source for these things. We don't know this fruit on our own. The Holy Spirit comes from the outside, and He comes to us. Because if that were not to happen... We would be lost. These don't come from us. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit. Just like the apples on the tree. The apples don't at all produce that which is good, produce the fruit. Uh, no, it is the tree itself. He is the source. And so it's the Holy Spirit who is the source. And really, that's the beauty of the whole thing. Uh, because if we know ourselves and we know our own hearts, this can cause a lot of anxiety within us. I must put to death this, and I must see this within myself. No, not at all. We must submit to the Lord because He's already in control. And as we do, He's going to do this work within us so that we're able to not indulge in the flesh and more and more and more to put to death the works of the flesh. And we're enabled to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and to engage in these things. But the power itself doesn't come from us. The power is from God. Uh, He is the one who does that work. He is the one who gives us an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, of who He is, of what He has done in our lives. And so even this morning as we come to the table uh, and we take the elements that uh, the Lord Jesus has commanded for us to take, uh, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives us an understanding of these, who helps us to know Christ and helps us to know that we are known by Christ.
so that this can be food for our souls and can help us with our daily walk as we walk by the Spirit. Please join me in prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you this morning for these uh, gifts that you have given, wonderful gifts. Thank you that we can truly uh, have and know the Holy Spirit, that this is an objective truth, the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us and therefore causing us to begin to see things differently. Yet, Lord, we know that we are still of the flesh. The old man does still remain, and so we ask for your help to submit ourselves to you, to see and to know what that, what that looks like in our own lives, and thereby to walk day in and day out, and, and to really focus upon those sins that are particular to us, that, have, that hold us down that hold us back that we may have struggled with for a long time. Uh, we pray that you would help us to bring those out, to point to them, to shine light on them, to put them to death, that we might, Lord, more and more uh, walk together with you. Uh, we look to you for help. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.